0: You're listening to Comedy Central.
1: Coming to you from New York City, the only city in America, it's The Daily Show. Tonight, Colorado considers legalizing mushrooms. Twitter is full of fakes. And Jordan Peele. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being here. Take a seat, everybody. Let's do it. Take a seat. Take a seat. We've got a fun show lined up for you tonight. The midterms are getting people high. Sean Penn just won the war in Ukraine, and thanks to Elon Musk, now you can be Elon Musk. Plus, the one and only Jordan Peele is joining us on the show, everybody. So let's do this, people. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. All right, people, I'm gonna be honest. With all the news happening right now, I don't think we have enough space in today's show. And I tried, I tried everything, I promise you. I even put the news in the laundry, hoping it would shrink, but then <laughs> it just came out cleaner and smelling like lavender and we still don't have enough time for it all. Fortunately, not enough time is just enough time for a segment we call, Ain't Nobody Got Time For That. Let's kick things off with the midterm elections, a night so disappointing for Republicans, Mitch McConnell is flying his jowls at (laughs) half-mast. As of right now, there are several big races that are still too close to call. For instance, will Republican Adam Laxalt hold onto his lead in the Nevada Senate race? Will Lauren Boebert squeak one out in Colorado? Will election denier Carrie Lake accept the results if she loses the Arizona governor's race? Or will she try to hang whoever Arizona's Mike Pence is? Nobody knows. (laughs) And one reason it's so hard to predict the results is that Americans cast ballots in so many different ways, and they all come in differently and separately, right? Right? Democrats tend to vote early by mail or Dropbox. Republicans show up on election day or use military ballots. And Herschel Walker (laughs) votes the way he fathers his children, absentee. (laughs) But there is one unfinished race that's not all that close, and it's a real trip.
2: We are still watching Proposition 122, which appears likely to pass, and if it does, Colorado would essentially legalize psychedelic mushrooms. Passing the proposition would decriminalize personal possession right away, and then it would allow licensed medical facilities to administer the natural medicine starting in 2024.
1: Yeah, that's right. After being one of the first states to legalize marijuana, Colorado is now one of the first states to legalize mushrooms. And I think it's great. I think it is. Yeah, because of creating like a, instead of creating a drug underworld, Colorado's bringing everything out into the open, you know? You can legalize it, you can regulate it. It's like those parents who give their kids wine with dinner, you know? It's like, yeah, I'd rather they be drunk in front of me because it's safer. And also it's funny to watch them bumping into things. Go, look at you, Tyler. And I know right now, I know right now, there's some people seeing this law going into effect and they're panicking. They're like, shrooms are gonna be legal, what? And I'm like, but hey, hey, just relax, relax, breathe. You're gonna be just fine. Just drink more water and listen to some Enya, okay? Enya, 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 that's a weird name. I'm freaking out again. But personally, I'm all for drug laws getting less restrictive. And if they do officially legalize shrooms, I'm also excited for their next ballot measure. Why are my hands so big? If we had more time, we could talk about whether the acceptance of recreational drug use can lead to increased understanding of the therapeutic value of psychedelics, or how weird it is that drugs are like the one illegal thing we get to vote on to make legal. You know, like, why don't we legalize jaywalking, or even better, jay-driving? Why do the pedestrians have the sidewalks all to themselves, huh? (laughs) But we don't have the time for any of that, because while the U.S. is abandoning the war on drugs, Ukraine is still fighting its war with Russia, and its leader just got some Really strange military assistance.
2: The actor Sean Penn, most often doing the unpredictable, he did it again this time, loaning his Oscar to the president of Ukraine. But it comes with a condition. Video posted online shows Penn handing the Oscar to Ukrainian president Zelensky. He said Zelensky can keep it until Ukraine wins the war against Russia. Penn has visited Ukraine several times since the fighting began last February.
3: If I know this is here with you,
2: then I'll, then I'll feel better and stronger to, for the fight. It's so great, great honor, but yeah. like, until we will. When you, when you win, bring it back to Malibu. Great,
1: great, yes. okay. I don't even know how to process. This information, am I on mushrooms? Is is it happening already? Like, like I really, I don't get it. How does the Oscar help Zelensky fight the war? Is he supposed to use it as a weapon? I mean, if that's the case, at least give him two so he can use them like nunchucks, like on a chain, you know? And it would be strange enough if he just gave him an Oscar to help win the war, but he wants Zelensky to return it? That was the weird part for me. He's like, make sure you bring this back to me. That's a lot of responsibility. The man is already running a war against Russia. Now he's got to make sure that nothing happens to Sean Penn's Oscar. <laughs> it's like air raid sirens are going off. They're like, quickly, sir, quickly, everyone get to the bunker. He's like, I'm coming. I just need to find Sean Penn's Oscar. <laughs> ah, ah, he needs it back, he needs it back. <laughs> the only way I think this could work is if Zelensky gave the Oscar to Putin and then while Putin gave the acceptance speech, the, the music just played him off and then he had to leave Ukraine. <laughs> oh wait, I wasn't finished. Okay, good night, goodbye everybody. I actually hope that Zelensky is a fan of Sean Penn's movies because we don't know what else happened there. He might've gotten really awkward, you know? Sean Penn is like, here, I want you to have my best actor Oscar for milk. <laughs> yes, yes, one of my favorite film. I- <laughs> I remember watching it and thinking, wow, that is a lot of milk. (laughs) No way you can drink all that milk. (laughs) Powerful story. (laughs) Now, if we had more time, we could talk about the other major development in the war, which is that Russia was just forced into another embarrassing retreat from a major Ukrainian city, probably because they heard Ukraine has Sean Penn's Oscar now. But we don't have the time for that, because right now, the one thing being mismanaged worse than Putin's war is Elon Musk's websites.
0: Well, Twitter has officially debuted its verified blue check
1: marks, and the future is already causing a lot of confusion. Subscribers who pay the $8 monthly fee are now entitled to some additional perks, namely the blue check mark previously reserved for verified accounts. The problem is, some of those users are using their newly acquired verification to impersonate celebrities and other public figures. Someone pretending to be LeBron
2: James tweeted, I am officially requesting a trade from the Lakers. An account that appeared to be from the pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly announced that all insulin would now be free. Meanwhile, a user impersonating George W. Bush declared, I miss killing Iraqis. And a fake account for Nintendo simply tweeted, A picture of mom. Mario, giving the
1: finger. Oh no! Because anyone can buy verification, they're now impersonating famous people. Who could have seen this coming? (laughs) What? Everyone? Wow! Where were you guys $44 billion ago? (laughs) Look, I'm gonna be honest, and I'm gonna be blunt here. Elon Musk is running Twitter into the ground. And it's the best Twitter's ever been. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Huh? Fake LeBron leaving LA, Mario flipping the bird, huh? George Bush telling us how he really feels. The thing is an absolute train wreck, and I'm here for it. (laughs) The only reason we know that that wasn't the real Mario was because Mario would never flip someone the bird. He's Italian, come on. Yeah, he'd probably do this, right? Or this, he's like, hey, Cooper, tell your mother I said hello, huh? But who knows? Who knows? Maybe all of this verified, real, fake people on Twitter chaos is actually part of Elon's plan. Yeah, maybe this is what he's doing on purpose. Soon, no one will know a real account from a fake account. And then he'll be like, guys, did you see someone impersonated me and spent $44 billion on Twitter? That was crazy. (laughs) Well, I'm just gonna take my money and be on my way. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Now, if we had the time, we could discuss how this verified fiasco isn't just hurting Twitter, it's also damaging Tesla's stock. Or we could definitely talk about how Rihanna just said on Twitter that she wanted me to perform with her at the Super Bowl. And no, it's not a fake account because she even asked for my social security number. But we don't have the time for any of that because while Twitter is faking celebrities, a real celebrity is in trouble for faking his life.
2: Vogue is suing rappers Drake and 21 Savage for using a fake cover story to promote their new album her loss.
0: So back in October, Drake shared what appeared to be a Vogue magazine cover featuring himself and 21 Savage with the caption, me and my brother on the newsstand tomorrow, thanking Vogue editors for their support. Well, apparently they did not like this because the mm-hmm. publishers, they filed a complaint in federal court this week saying the stunt was infringement of the company's trademark. So far, no comment on the lawsuit from Drake or 21 Savage.
1: Yeah. That's right, Vogue is suing Drake and 21 Savage for $4 million for Photoshopping themselves onto the cover of the magazine. Which, to be honest, I don't know if Vogue has a case here. You can clearly tell that this was a fake cover. I mean, Vogue lighting black people properly? This is clearly not real. (laughs) (laughs) We know it's parody? But the beef is very real. The biggest name in magazines is going up against the biggest name in hip hop. That's no joke. This hasn't happened since Tupac got shot by Reader's Digest. That shit was no (laughs) game. Now, just for context, this Vogue cover wasn't the only fake promotion Drake and 21 Savage have been doing, right? He also released a a fake interview with Howard Stern, a fake SNL performance, a fake appearance on NPR, like Tiny Desk, which is a little weird because he's Drake. He doesn't have to fake any of these things, you know? (laughs) It's so weird to me. It's like, Drake, if you want to be on NPR, I'm pretty sure you can be on NPR. (laughs) This would be like Obama Photoshopping himself at a Buffalo Wild Wings, you know? He's just like, oh, look, Michelle, it almost looks like I was actually there. How cool would that be? (laughs) But man, you're the president. You can go to a Buffalo Wild Wings. If we had the time, we could talk about how Vogue has inadvertently given Drake and 21 Savage way more than $4 million worth of publicity by suing them, making this the most successful marketing campaign ever for their brand. But we don't have time to talk about that because we have some brands who would like to sell you about some very real products they'd like to sell you. We'll be right back.
2: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: Welcome back to today's show. Tomorrow is Veterans Day in America. And to commemorate it, we look at a group of veterans who sometimes get looked over in another edition of Ronnie Chang teaches you about Asians. <laughs>
3: Hello class, thanks for coming. Although you really had no choice since if you don't come to school in America, your parents get arrested. Today, we're gonna learn about some of the great Asian veterans in US history because Asians have served in the US military for almost as long as America has fought in wars, which is basically the whole time. America loves war so much it wants to have its babies and then send those babies to go fight in the next war. Anyway, first up is Augustin Feliciano who fought in the war of 1812 which happened in, (laughs) (laughs) the teacher's guide doesn't actually say, so nice going morons. Feliciano was the first Filipino to serve in the US Navy, but before he sailed with the Navy, he sailed with pirates. That's right, American history has Asian veterans and Asian pirates. I'm blowing your freaking mind today. What's next, Asian werewolves? (laughs) No, that's beneath us. Let's fast forward to America's civil war. The first one, not the one currently happening every day in your Twitter feed. The civil war is where Chinese American soldiers began to make their mark. Of the roughly 200 Chinese Americans living in the Eastern U.S. at the time, 58 of them served in the war. That's 58 out of 200. Can you calculate the percentage from that number? It's easy. You just cross out the zeros, you move the decimal point over, you flip the whole thing, you multiply by 100, and you plug your your f- phone and use a calculator. Math is easy, especially for me, a teacher. One of the most distinguished Chinese Civil War vets was Joseph Pierce. He rose in the ranks to corporal, the highest rank of any Chinese American in the Union Army, which I can also relate to because I am the highest ranking Asian at The Daily Show. Though sadly, I do not have as many confirmed kills. And yeah, there were white soldiers in the 1800s who were taking orders from an Asian guy because those guys were hashtag allies. And they didn't even need to brag about it on Instagram. All right, Julia? We get it. You taught your dog Cantonese. But not every veteran got what they deserve. Edward De Cajota was a Chinese immigrant adopted by an American ship captain who fought in the Civil War and then served for another 26 years. But get this, America still refused to make him a citizen. Do you believe that? I mean, this guy risked his life in the military for almost 30 years. Most citizens never do anything close to that. They automatically get citizenship just by getting pooped out of their mom's butt. That's right, I threw in some sex ed for free. You're welcome. Let's move on to World War I and one of his greatest Asian American heroes, Lao Sing Ki. He was a runner, which means he ran messages to the front line all while dodging gunfire and flamethrowers. That's right, this guy risked his life to send messages. I hope this makes you grateful for texting. In fact, I wish this was still how we had to send messages. You'd probably think twice if you had to run across a battlefield to give someone a picture of your dick. Now, let's turn to World War II. We saw Asian American heroes like Daniel Inouye, who fought in the 442nd Regiment, a unit made up completely of soldiers of Japanese descent and one of the most decorated regiments in military history. During a combat mission in France, Inouye escaped death when a bullet to his chest was blocked by two silver dollars. Try doing that with Bitcoin, you crypto bitches. Daniel Inoue is why I carry two silver dollars in my breast pocket at all times. Wait, where are they? Oh, yeah, I got that vending machine coke. Okay, nobody shoot me until I can get to the bullion exchange. Even after his military service, Inoue went on to serve 50 years in Congress. So congrats to him on finding the only job worse than combat. But maybe the biggest Asian badass to come out of World War II was Captain Nieves Fernandez, a Filipino school teacher who became a guerrilla warfare fighter and led a squadron that killed over 200 Japanese soldiers. You hear that, class? School teachers can become guerrilla assassins. Do not mess with us! Ow, goddamn it, shop! The last veteran we're gonna learn about today is a living legend. And not how that term is usually used, like if your friend Jake wins a stupid flip cup tournament. I mean an actual legend. Tammy Duckworth. She served as a Blackheart helicopter pilot in Iraq until 2004, when her aircraft was hit by a rocket-propelled grenade. She lost her legs and partial use of her right arm. For her sacrifice, she was honored with a purple heart. I don't know why it's purple. I guess whoever designed it was a huge Prince fan. But her service didn't end with the military. She went on to become the first Thai American woman and disabled woman elected to Congress. She also became the first woman to bring a baby onto the Senate floor. Although it definitely wasn't the first diaper. Those dudes are old as shit. So class, in conclusion, from now on, when you think of Asians in American history, don't just think of railroads and that guy from Breakfast at Tiffany's who isn't actually Asian. Think of Tammy Duckworth lao Ki, and Nieves Fernandez, who kill-build half an army. Speaking of which, I gotta go tend to this neck wound. Knowing how cheap these school districts are, I probably have lead poisoning. Class dismissed.
1: Thank you so much for that, Ronnie. All right, stay tuned, because when we come back, the one and only Jordan Peele will be joining me right here on the show. You don't wanna miss it.
2: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: Welcome back to the Daily Show. My guest tonight is an Academy Award winner who created the hit films Get Out, Us, and most recently Nope. He's here to talk about his new Spotify original audio horror series called Quiet Part Loud. Please welcome Jordan Peele.
4: That feels good. That feels that feels absolutely
1: wonderful. Okay. Yeah. You think so? That's appropriate. That's what we're gonna do. It's just gonna be it's, half an hour of applause for you. That's <laughs> that's overwhelming. You that's know? an overwhelming that's, response. That's that's what you deserve. That's how you make people that's feel. That's what you deserve. No, that's what you deserve, and my friend. I, and I mean can I tell you? Honestly, I, I mean this honestly. I, you know, I, I was I was scrolling on my TV the other day, and you know, I was bouncing around everything between like YouTube and then going to Netflix and then bouncing like to different apps and watching. It's amazing to see the impact that you have had on the culture. You know, obviously, mm. no, really, with Peel. some of the funniest moments and ideas still existing on TikTok, kids loving them today. And then you move into like what you did with Keanu, and then mm. the, the, the new range of movies. I do want to understand this. Okay. You're one of the funniest people out there. You were, for a very long time, putting out some of the funniest content, and now it's just like like scary shit. <laughs> is this for balance? What, what happened? Is
4: it weird that I think it's funny? Is it? I, you know, I, I, I think the comedy part of my career is still going. I think it's still active. Wow. And part of that, you know, part I, I talk about it as sort of like the difference between comedy and horror is the music. And it really does, it, it does feel like that. You know, when, when we- uh... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now what,
1: I'm picturing, now I'm picturing the scene in Get Out where, <laughs> where the guy's running, like, you know, he's running at the camera yeah. and he's like head on, but now I'm picturing like, yeah. I
4: mean, Just like <laughs> Benny Hill. And it's funny. It's funny. And it's very funny. And I could have done. It. I, I was at the finish line with that film. I could have gone either way.
1: It would have been a very different film.
4: Um, but but thank you for saying that. Uh, yeah, no, I I I'm, I love comedy. It it became very uh, complex. Right. Somehow making comedy in this world, as it is complex, I think making anything or getting anything accomplished in this world. It feels
1: like you were the right only now. person who wasn't surprised about the filmmaker you would turn into, you know? And I think it's because you came from this world of sketch and sketch always seems unplanned and unprepared. It seems off the cuff, but there's so much work that goes into it. And and now you've you've turned into, or rather you've been revealed to us as this this, this filmmaker. Like when I was watching Nope, you're sitting in that movie theater, Nobody knows what's gonna happen, why it's gonna happen, how it's gonna happen. You successfully got people to not spoil any of the plot points. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you did that. Because <laughs> people who saw they're like, have you seen Nope? I was like, no, I haven't. How is it? They're like, oh, hmm. Nope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But you, you, create,
4: like, you create a feeling. Thank you. Well, the, you know, I, have, uh, I just have this love of my audience. And, and I think what my audience is, has been telling me and responding to right. is that that very thing is something that they love. And that they're going to uh, they're going to show up for it. Uh-huh. And so you know when and, and and you know you say I I knew I you know when I made when I wrote Get Out I didn't I didn't even know if they would let me direct it. For I real? didn't. Yeah, that's that's how uh, how much has changed in my life. You know I was trying to push this thing, and so I, I, luckily I found a, a, a wonderful home and wonderful p- producers for it. But when I made Nope. That, then I you know I was like okay, now hold on a second they're gonna make let me direct a film. You know, they're going to let me direct a
1: big movie. Right. And so there's a responsibility there. Is there, is there a pressure? Do you ever, do you ever like, feel the weight of your own pressure? Because Get Out is one of the greatest movies that has ever been made. From that moment onwards, everyone is expecting you to create the greatest movie ever made. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be that pressure. There's always going to be the criticism. There's always going to be the critics. Do, do you feel that as well, or do you find yourself just making what you want to make? Well, you know, th- a lot of people hate Get Out. And there's a certain- Wait, Who are these people? Well, they're out there, <laughs> huh.
4: they are out there. Oh, wow, okay. I get, I, get, I still get uh, hate from, from, from that era. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't like the, you know, the, the agency that it brought me and other people. I truly feel that. And so, uh, you know, at, at, and, and, and in Key & as well, you know, you're, you realize people are gonna respond but there's always gonna be people who don't respond and that's okay, that's part of the adventure of doing something risky, doing
1: something you're not supposed to do, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that you're gonna be pissing people off, but that's okay. I wonder if some people are pissed off at what you illuminate in the stories that you tell because it's one thing to create a horror movie, it's one thing to create thrill and suspense, Mm. it's another thing to, to weave into that story everything that we're experiencing in real life. You know, the, the, there are themes of race. The, there are themes of, of gender. There are, there are themes of... Like, everything is encapsulated in a story. It's like, you you went and went, what if there's racism and what if there's sexism and what if there's also a monster? Which seems, <laughs>
4: you know? Which is the very much the real world. It's, yeah. uh, once again, a documentary, but no. I... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Yeah. You know, I mean, this one uh, wanted to be about this, you know, this idea that was sort of forming in my head that there's Mm -hmm. some people, there are some things in this world that are these bad miracles. These are these things that are so entertaining that it uh, that we're blinded to the danger of them. Wow. And so I wanted to make a film about the, you know, the human response to these things and how we interact with it and how we, we will chase it off
1: a cliff. Wow. You do that with everything though, because when they told me you had a podcast, I thought you were going to be interviewing people. I thought it was going to be a conversation. They were like, no, he made a horror podcast. So I was like, but that's, but that's not possible. And then they sent it to me and I was like, oh, this is terrifying (laughs) because I just have to use my ears. This was something, you know, uh, all of us at Monkey Paw Productions were very excited
4: about like trying to make the scariest Horror podcast of all time. And do, do you know
1: what people normally use podcasts for? <laughs> are, you, are you familiar? Sort of like you're driving. You're on like you're... a drive. You know. Yeah. Some people play podcasts to I've go heard- to sleep. <laughs>
4: I've heard of and this. And then this slides into your playlist. You know, and this is something we we, we talk about in, in horror uh, all the time, which is this idea that it's it's the things you don't see that, the, that are the
1: scariest. It is terrifying, because yeah. you've created this podcast that is essentially, it sounds real. It sounds like an actual conspiracy theorist, and we're following him mm-hmm. and his journey of creating this radio show that sort of sets in a pre-Trump world, and he's talking about everything that's happening in... He's digging into conspiracies, and... It feels too real, Jordan.
4: It's and it, this is brilliant and Tracy Letts be, wonderfully plays this this character and and this whole faustian thing it, yeah. it ends up being I'm not going to give away what the, the what is going on what but the, grrr, but there is, is there's yeah. something of yeah <laughs> as cause yeah. as discussed we need to but it, it's it's a story that needs to be told in the sound medium because there is a a, sa- a sound element mm-hmm. to this parasite,
1: and it, the it's scary. <laughs> when, when, when you tell your stories, and, and this is something that I feel you've always done, whether it's in a sketch whether it's in a movie, and now even in a podcast, it feels like you are commenting on the aspects of the world that we oftentimes take for granted or ignore because they, they're almost seamlessly happening to us. And you you take them, you amplify them, and it, then it becomes a horror we can't look away from. Like, why do you think it's important for us to focus on those moments, to focus on what's happening in real life?
4: Well, it is. There's, there's, there... It's important for us to pay attention to the real life monsters. And I think it's important to, uh, to and, and it's important for us to feel fear as it is, you know. So much of this, so much of this doom scrolling and stuff, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it really is about us, uh, the fact that fear is something we bury. Fear mm-hmm. is something that we don't like. We don't like that feeling. We'll, we will convert it into ang- other things. Yeah, yeah. And so, anyway- It sort I, of
1: numbs us as we scroll, yeah.
4: Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> did, I answer, <laughs> did I answer the question with that? I...
1: Well, can I just say, um, I've loved everything that you've created. I, 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 I enjoy how original your art is. I, I, I also really appreciate, you know, how you work with the talent that you work with. I mean, Kiki Palmer, mm. people have been loving her forever. To see- <laughs> to see her in the movie, to see what you did with her. no. Obviously, Daniel, you know, we've loved him s- since forever. It, you, you don't just create a story, you also create stars. You know, you also give people an opportunity to shine on the screen. And I would love to know wh- what you look for in these performers that you think will, I mean, as it does, successfully convey the feelings that you're trying to get to the people.
4: Well, you know, first of all, I, I'm also, I'm trying to hitch my wagon to these Moving trains, right? I'm trying to uh, find people who are ready to do their the the, the their greatest role, you know, know and that's... in that perfect place. So I, I very much I'm so I'm so thankful that you know the Daniels and the Kikis of the mm-hmm, world mm-hmm. will will come out and do it. But I'm also looking for somebody who. Is is really smart enough to take over the character for me? I've, I do the work to build this character up to a certain point, and then I need somebody to come in and become the expert, mm. so I can ask them, "How does Emerald feel?" And she can she can answer that question. We can kind of move from there. And so, you know, I, I just I have very I have the privilege of working with people like. Uh, like Daniel and like Kiki, who are just, you know, the, the best actors in the
1: world. And then we have the privilege of enjoying everything that you all create together. The privilege of having well, you on well, the show. Thank you, thank you my you. friend. Absolutely. Absolutely, Joe. Thank you again. Sean Peel everybody. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this.